And uh, I just I hope that you have been able to study it, uh, been able to spend some time reading it. Uh, the Minor Prophets are very helpful uh, with regard to allowing us to understand uh, things about ourselves that we might have overlooked in certain times, uh, in certain cultures. Uh, maybe we, are, we lean more towards uh, certain prophets over others. And the good thing about studying something like Amos is uh, you have to address what he says. And so that's what we're trying to do. So if you would uh, bow with me and then we'll uh, begin our study. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom to understand and to comprehend what you have to say to us. And we pray that we would respond with our hearts filled with a desire to obey and to live in a way that would be pleasing to you. And we pray that we would um, look over our lives and see where we may have failed to do so and confess that before you. Uh, and we praise you for, for the opening up your word to us. In Christ's name, amen. So remember we said... You could ask the big question for Amos would be, does God care? And you want to ask yourself, well, what are we talking about? The issue in Amos, when you're thinking about it, is does God care uh, about really the poor would be one aspect of, of this, and the other would be the righteous. Does he care about how people are treated? And specifically in Israel, uh, they had risen to prominence there was like great wealth there, and with great wealth was uh, for a certain number of people uh, that they were able to kind of uh, use their prominence to hurt others, and that's what Amos is all about, and he's addressing that and helping us see that, uh, and that is going on in this culture. Last week, Amos started the book with the nations, and he took... Uh, in a way, you could say he took a map and he walked all the way around Israel and all of their enemies and he said, these enemies are going to be judged by God. And so if Amos were speaking to thousands and he's standing there and everybody's listening in Israel, they would be cheering. You know, if they were at some national convention, everybody in Israel would be like, Amos, 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 Amos. And they don't want him to say anything else. It was a great message. But then Amos says, my second point is if the nations are judged, you will be judged. And everybody's like, down with Amos, down with Amos, down with Amos. And the crowd like moves and shifts that quickly. And so you understand that and we can see that. And you would see it if you just read it. It's very clear. We try to study the Bible in a way that you could go home and read it and say, he's not making that stuff up. It's very clearly there in the flow of the text. So I think it's important just to say, and this is what the Bible says a lot, if the nations, like if the nations of the world uh, think something is wrong and it is wrong, how much more should the people of God think that something is wrong, Right? So sometimes the nations get it right. God reveals to them, hey, those are bad things. Those are hurtful things. Those are horrendous things. And uh, the nations will come together and say, call out some global sin. And it is, it, 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 it's, it's a horrible thing. And then the church, you could say, how much, the church should have been thinking about that all along and seeing sin as sin. 
And so that's something I think it's just important to note. But when the nations are being judged, you kind of say, hey, uh, Israel is no different than any other nation in that God will judge them for their sins. And so that's kind of where we are. Now, why should they, when it comes to like hurting other people that are down, why should Israel be the most quick to respond? Because they had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years, they had been treated horribly. And so now, God rescues them, which is what we'll talk about in this text today. He rescues them out of bondage, and He brings them into a place of blessing. So they go from like being slaves to set free and so the, the thing you're, in your thought, the national consciousness would be this. God redeemed and rescued us. And in response to that, when we see the downtrodden, we should be quick to reach down and lift them up. That's just kind of, you, should, you would think, a natural thing. And in God's law, the law is summarized in love God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's at the heart of it. So you just kind of have to put that in your mind as we're moving forward. So today we're saying God will judge his people for how they treat the poor and how they respond to the righteous, no matter how good they are at playing church. That's kind of how I think this kind of lays out. So if you read the whole context of Amos. So let's start. Remember, been talking about the nations. Everybody's like, yes, the nations need to be judged. He turns on Israel. I mean, Judah first and then Israel. And uh, with Judah, he's going to address why God's people will be judged. So Amos 2.4, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke the punishment. So remember, again, if you've been studying with us, you would see that phrase over and over. You can go back from chapter 1, verse 3. See that phrase, boom, boom, boom. It keeps coming up, that phrase. And uh, we will see that God holds his people, Israel, accountable just as he holds the nations accountable. So, we keep going because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Now, that's important, I think, to see that and have not kept his statutes. Uh, when we think of, oftentimes when we hear the law, we'll just think of all of the laws that God gave Israel as a nation, um, something, and you would also include maybe the Ten, of course you would, the Ten Commandments in there, but you could read about all of those in Exodus, you can read about it in Leviticus, there's like these laws that, that are kind of lay everything out, and then the statutes kind of show you how a lot of those things flesh out, and so what they've done is they have rejected the law of the Lord. Now, how should they have seen God's law? Now, I'm going to show you how David saw it. And I think with the heart of God, how he would have saw it, the law of God. The law of the Lord, this is from Psalm 19, is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, rule, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
more desirable than, 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 I'm sorry, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honey, honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So David, seeing them rightly, sees them as life, sees them as blessing, sees them as a delight, sees them as something you long to understand and treasure, sees them as something you would chase after. So hunting season is just around the corner, and there will be many of you hunting, pursuing, running after some game. And it will be like all-consuming. You'll be thinking about all the ways that you can kind of get to or, or set yourself up to be able to capture or kill or whatever that animal. And he's saying... The, there is nothing that you should desire more or pursue with greater intensity than the law of the Lord. What is Israel? What, I'm sorry. What has Judah done? They've rejected the law. They've rejected what should be most desirable in their life. They've turned away from it. They do not see it as a blessing. They have not kept His ways. Now notice what it says. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So instead of the truth, they have believed lies. That's what Romans speaks of this, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. That's just something that humanity does. That's something that we see. So, their lies have led them astray, astray. So it's almost like they've been taken away. Now here's the thing that really stinks. Is that their greater knowledge should lead them to a greater appreciation and greater responsibility. But they have moved away and the lies are dominating their consciousness. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you, when I think about that, it's... It's so wonderful to know and to have God's word, and then to but to think in terms of like having it available, but not really pursuing knowing it is a frightening thing. Now, here's the other thing: What if your children followed in your footsteps? What if they were saying, "I'm just going to walk the road that my parents walked." I'm going to travel the trail that they went down. It seemed good for them. It made them prosperous. They had uh, everything that you could like, the American dream. They had all of those things. I'll just follow their road. Like, surely they were blessed of God. Who, who else would have blessed them with all of the prominence and power and possessions? I'll just walk the road that they walked. That could have happened in Israel because Israel was in, and Judah, they were in the, some of the greatest times in their history. And so you're saying, I'll just follow after the way 
the ways of my fathers. The problem is the fathers had left the law of God. John 8.44, Jesus speaking of the religious leaders, He says, you are of your father the devil. He says about him, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies and that's your dad. The nations dominated by the prince of the power of the air and now he's saying these people who have been called by his name who you would say have been redeemed by God from the standpoint of like rescued from bondage and slavery, they are now walking down the road of the father of lies. But they're prosperous. And so they don't see it as God's judgment coming to fall on them, but rather God's blessing has been poured out upon them even though at the very heart of what the law of the Lord speaks of, they have rejected completely. I think it's important for us to just say, and what we've tried to do systematically is to teach you God's Word. Step by step, week after week. Just in, And so we, we make things available for you to learn and understand and grasp the Word of God we don't just say, hey, we've got these five verses, we go over them 50,000 times, and that's all we talk about. That's not what we do here. We're not like trying to cram your head full of one thing. This, just remember this, just remember this, just remember that. No, what we're saying is we're going to teach you the whole counsel of God. Like the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, I did not fail to teach you the whole counsel of God. That's our goal. And so we read Amos, and we read the Gospel of John, and we read the Revelation, and we read Genesis, and we read all of these things, and we say, what does the Word of God say? I want you to know the truth of God. I want you to be able to understand the truth of God so that you understand what it means to walk in His ways. We want you on solid food. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we ground you in the truth. We try to make the roots grow deep so that the fruitfulness of your life will be an example for your children to follow so that they will know the road to walk on, to walk down, that you can say to them, follow my example and observe those who have walked according to the, power, uh, the, the, the ways that you've seen in us. Imitate me as we're imitating the Lord. We want to know the truth and we want to live the truth. People who believe lies, what are they believing in? I think this is just really, really important. I'm just going to note it for you just, just for a moment. Um, I don't, we don't have that as much time as I'd like to. Habakkuk 2, 18 and 19 says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? The nations had idols. They had false gods. They had made with their own hands. They had fashioned them into their own image. They had doctrines that these demonic gods taught. 
whenever you see the idols of some age or some period of time, we always say to people and, and remind ourselves, whenever you see an idol of any culture in any period of time, you ask yourself, what's behind the idol? And then you say, do I struggle with that? What's behind the idol? Does it ever capture my attention? Do I ever want that? Could I see myself, if I could push aside the, the tangible idol, could I see that in my heart? You see, these teachers of lies make much of humanity and put them first. So I think it's just important to say, do you have, are you in danger of being led astray by the idols of this age? And really, you might ask yourself, has your prosperity caused you to believe in yourself and in your, what you deserve? And a long list of things, has that kind of pushed on you to do that so that you now think, hey, uh, I'm getting what I deserve. Other people aren't getting what I have because they don't deserve it. And so um, I'm okay with doing whatever I have to do to continue to get the blessings that I deserve. That's just a scary thing, and that's kind of what's going on in Judah. So let's keep going with Israel. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Which is an interesting thing. When you think about people being sold for silver in the Bible, you might be like, whoa, hold on a second. Uh, i got to think about that, uh, because it's very clear that that did happen, and uh, Jesus was sold for silver. You're immediately like, oh, really? The most righteous, the perfectly righteous one, sold for silver, 30 pieces of silver, remember? Well, silver is one of those things that people would use to sell people, you know, or to sell out people in the case of Jesus. But in Leviticus 25, in the law of God, it says, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you and again this is a cultural thing but we understand people would it's almost like somebody has to pay the debt and then that person would work off the debt that they owed to you this is what he says you should not make him serve as a slave he shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner he shall serve with you until the year of jubilee what happened to the year of Jubilee, but it never happened in Israel. But 50 years in, all the people who had come on hard times, experienced all kinds of trouble, and lost everything that they had, it was to be given back because it was their inheritance. That never happened in Israel, but that's what was supposed to happen. Or we don't have any documentation of that. But I just say that to say, so what are they doing? Instead of like doing what they should do, uh, they are selling the righteous, that is, the godly ones. They're persecuting the godly ones and the needy for a pair of sandals. So you, you can understand that being the case. And it was something that, that happened in that day, and you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. It might surprise you if you stopped and considered some of the things that you've seen. It's hard for us sometimes because we live in the culture that we live in to be able to see some of the injustices, while at the same time, 
I do think it's a very interesting thing that we do live in a country where people are, there's fair wages and there's, way, there's a lot of wonderful things about living in the country that we live in. Because there are places you go in the world if you travel very much and you think, everything that I'm, I mean, there, all these people are being like uh, cheated and there's all these bribes and all this junk is going on and, and you come back to America and you think, I'm so thankful for living here because there's not those kinds of things going on. It's not that we're not guilty of sins against each other, certainly. But there are also really wonderful things about being in a country uh, like ours, built upon foundations where uh, treating people justly and rightly are, are, are important. Have we always done that? No. Do we have sins? Absolutely. Uh, so it's, it, we're, but we do have some things that we've gotten right. And so I'm not, it's one of those things where it's like we're not uh, just saying, hey, everything we've done is wrong. But in this context, this is within Israel, and you think, like, of all people, Y'all should not be treating people that way, and we'll talk about it uh, further as we go along. Uh, if you remember, in 2 Kings 4, 1, there was a lady that came to Elijah. She said, my husband has died, and you know that my husband feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be as slaves. So remember, she had to go in with those jars, and she filled them up with oil, and, and then went and sold the oil and paid off her debt. So, just you know, you can kind of think about that. Uh, Amos chapter eight, we'll we'll deal with that even further, and you will see uh, the way that they were beating the poor was that they made the scales messed up, so that they beat the poor out of uh, the little bit that they already had, and they took it. So, all of that is going on in Israel, and you can imagine, like this is shocking because. God knew who they were, and, and He knew what they, where they had been, and they should understand, like, the weakest among them should be uh, rescued and watched out for and protected. Verse 7 says, Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So it's not just the poor, it's those who couldn't do anything for themselves. You know, it, it's like the afflicted would be someone that's really sick. They can't stand up for themselves, they, can, they don't have the energy maybe even to work themselves. Like they can't take care of themselves. And it was like they were even abusing those people. And so, it, you know, it's just something to, like when you think about that, you wonder like how could they do this? Now, listen to Isaiah 10 too. This is not the only time or the only way in which this has happened. Isaiah 10 too says, To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may... Uh, be their spoil, and that they may make the fatherless their prey. So you remember like in James where it says, pure and undefiled religion is that you would uh, visit uh, widows in their distress and, and, and to help the, the, those in need that, that, that have been really left without parents. Like I, the widow and the orphan are central to that. So I just think it's important that you understand what is taking place here, how they are treating the least of these in their culture. Now it says, a man and his father going the same girl, so that my holy name is profane. This is just a reminder of uh, some of those things that we even see in the New Testament, First Corinthians five one. But it, it is these men uh, uh, making horrible acts upon these these women, and they're both father and son. So it's like the whole family is is trashed in, in, in a horrendous way and there's this maybe a slave girl or maybe some other family member we don't really know but it was a dark dark time verse 8 they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge 
this is an interesting thing, just kind of helping you understand the law. In Exodus 22, 26, it says, if you, have, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Why? Because it was cold. That was like his garment to have at night. It was like his sleeping bag. He would have it by day, but at night, like he would stay warm. And they're taking those, and it's almost like somebody's in a really bad time, and they say, well, I'll give you my cloak. It's all I have. Well, give me that cloak. And then instead of giving it back, then they just drape it all out and say, let's have a good time hanging out together. And aren't we having the best time? Or, as you, as you move on, uh, and then they, they also find people that can't do anything about it, and then they'll, they would have parties or also like have times where they'd be like, oh, let's take our wine to the house of God and we'll drink it, and it's wine that they've stolen from other people. So all these things are going on. You're like, man, I can't. This, this group of people, uh, both Judah and Israel, are all doing very wicked things in the sight of God, but they're very prosperous. They're doing really well. And so you might look at them and say, aren't they blessed of God? But deep, deep down, if you like start peeling back, you start saying, yeah, they're not blessed of God. In a sense, they're under his curse, and we will see that. Verse 9. And this is the point that the prophet makes. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. What's he saying? He's saying, like, don't you remember the bully, the the Amorites who were like bullies? Remember how powerful they were? Remember how they mistreated everyone around them because they could? Don't you remember that? Don't don't you remember how great they they were? And I went in. I was listening to something about Abraham Lincoln. And uh, last night, uh, I listened to, you know, a bunch of different books. One was, this one was on Abraham Lincoln. And they were surprised because Abraham Lincoln was like, the average guy at his time was like 5'6". Abraham Lincoln was like 6'4". And his ability to like chop down trees, they said like if you were listening as he was cutting down trees, they would just be falling. You would think there were five men out there cutting down trees. He was so fast and so strong. But anyway, when you think about this, this is what he says. These, these great trees, the, these great trees, that's what the Amorites were like. And I, I knocked them down before you. You didn't do it. You weren't that strong. You couldn't defeat those enemies. And I did this for you. But not only that, look at verse 10. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt after 400 years enslaved. I brought you out. I rescued you. The, the idea here in this text is you're mistreating all these people, but don't you remember how mistreated you were? Don't you remember how great the enemies around you were? Don't you understand that? And I took care of all those things for you. And then you turn your head and you look at these people who are weak around you, who are poor around you, who are the righteous around you, and you just like destroy them and grind them down into the dust. You think I don't see that? Just because you're prosperous today, I do see it. That's what God says. I do see it. You keep moving forward, just kind of thinking in verses 11, 12, and 13. 
Now here's the thing. He moves from his, the past deliverance, and then he comes into the present and says, remember, I raised up prophets among you. And some of the young men for Nazarites, just going to quickly say, the prophets were a mouthpiece. It would almost be like, and this is what they told Amos in their day. They said, Amos, you need to go home and don't say anything else to us. We don't want to hear you. I mean, and that may be something, I think it's very common in today's, uh, uh, you know, context. We sometimes see that people don't really want the Word of God un to be unfolded before them. That's just not really what they're thinking about. But you'll notice he raised up these prophets to speak the truth to them, to call out the lies. To say, that's a lie, this is the truth. You keep moving forward and just kind of thinking about the Nazarites were these kind of standards of holiness before the people because they would take a vow and they would not drink wine or cut their hair for a period of time. And the idea here is almost like they, they've taken the Nazarite and said, you will drink. You will abandon your commitment to God in that moment. It's not, again, that they were doing that for the rest of their life. It was in this particular time. They had set aside a time. They would not drink wine. They would not cut their hair. And it was a time dedicated solely to God. And they were like, no, we don't want that. We don't want any signs of setting apart our lives to God. And no, we don't want the voice of God. We don't want either one of those. That's kind of the picture. Okay. So, verse 14. What's going to happen to these people? I want you to see for a moment. They think they're really strong. But notice what happens. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength nor shall the mighty save his life. So it's almost like um, they think that they're really powerful, but it's come, there's coming a day where their power is going to be shown for what it really is, and it's nothing before God. I was thinking about, um, look at verse 15. For he who handles the bow shall not stand, he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor sh shall he who rides... Uh, the horse saved his life. I, I've, I've been, uh, Anna's been watching Lord of the Rings again for the 5,000th time. And uh, I'm just, you're just reminded there are all these different people. Some can shoot a bow. Some can wield a sword. Some are known for their ability to ride quickly and move quickly. There's all these types of people there. And what you see is in this day, they will not stand. Yesterday, um, I was thinking about, too, Will's uh, been reading books about great military leaders, and each one of them have these special things. And I think I may have mentioned this now that I think about it, but Julius Caesar could, like, as a kid, could sit on a horse and have his hands tied behind his back and ride the horse. And it, he was a great warrior. I mean, that was one of the things that he was capable of doing. I was thinking about, I was at the soccer field yesterday, and I heard Wyatt played a great offensive game, and I watched Levi play an insane defensive game. So in, in that sense, you could say, like, you put those two together, like, man, they would just be so amazing. But in this context, when we're thinking about someone on the offensive or defensive or someone chasing after uh, the enemy or all these lists of things of people that are doing all these great things and, and, and the Israel saying, like, we're so strong, we're so strong. God's saying, like, you don't understand and when I come, your strength will be nothing. 
And then you might have someone you say, and maybe you've met people like this, uh, and, and sometimes teams are tested. Right now we're thinking about college football, probably some of you are. And teams are tested, so they may have all the these skills and all that kind of stuff, but when they get in the, like, I don't know, third or fourth quarter, if they're behind, you kind of say they're tested. Do they have any heart? Do they have the grit that they need to, like, take the stand? Can they push through when everything's, like, come against them and they're really, really down? In this text it says, And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee naked in that day. They're going to run. And so what are we doing with this whole passage? What we're saying is, Israel was prosperous, and yet they were in this place where they were, uh, they thought, oh, God's blessing us because they were rich and powerful. And they were rich and powerful, and they used those things rather than to bless others, they used them against their own people. And God says, I'm watching it. It's again, not that God, God can do anything He wants to with us, but notice what they did was, instead of like using their prosperity and their power and their influence to bless, they, they brought on a curse to their own people. And God says, I see that. I notice that. I understand that. And so I think just for a church, when we're looking at this, we might say to ourselves, God has blessed us. God has blessed us in many different ways. And what we want to say is, Lord, may we not just kind of play the church thing, but may we give ourselves to be a blessing to the most needy around us, to those who are seeking to do very special things for God. Let us not say, oh yeah, I come to church, kind of give my money and do that kind of thing, and then I'm leaving, and I'm not going to think about how I can really pour into the life of someone, encourage someone, bless someone. I, I'm not looking for someone that I can really step out there and say, I'm going to really do something special to try to meet that need. I'm going to spend it all on myself. And that was kind of a big deal in Israel. And it's really easy to do that. And it's a selfish thing to do that. And so I encourage you today, when you're looking at this, think about that and say, Lord, let me see clearly, because we want to be a people who are serving and blessing others in very clear and tangible ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for clarity about how we are to live properly with the blessings that you've given us. We ask that we would do so and not, not be quick to forget how much you've saved us from. I pray, Lord, if there is um, a tinge of, of pride and arrogance that we think that we somehow deserve the favor that you've shown and, 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 and we don't really remember that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins once separated from you once outside of uh, your favor Lord I just pray you would remind us of that today and, and Lord use us to be rich in good deeds to do good to others every day as we wake up looking for opportunity to do that. In Christ's name, amen.